the show opened with Ed Sheeran playing a song to us in the bar on set. Like we had um, we had the Backstreet Boys on as well, and <laughs> it was a bit where uh, Bianca, one of the girls on the show, got overwhelmed and ran up and kisses Kevin from the Backstreet Boys on the mouth. I was playing a, a gay guy on on the show as well, so then when she did it, I was like, I'm gonna do it, and you just improv it, and I just lunged at him and kissed him, and everyone was like, Ah! Hello, this is your host Graham Rooney, and welcome to a performer, a pint, and a pod. The podcast where I take you down the pub and we meet a performer, have a drink and find out the tiddly truth you're only getting a pub. I'll be chatting to fantastic performers at all different points of their careers, discussing where they've come from, career-defining moments and, of course, guilty pleasures. All whilst having a laugh and getting a wee bit pissed. Fancy a pint with a pop star? A whiskey with your West End idol? Or a mojito with a magician? Then join me down the pub. So, without further ado, let's head down to the local and see which one of the nation's top performers is in there tonight. Pint please, mate. Thank you very much. This week, I'm joined by a bit of an all-rounder. Actor, singer, comedian, David Finn. From playing the lead in the West End School of Rock to starring in American sitcom Undateable, he's really had a cracking and diverse career. Not to mention performing at the National, RSC, Donmar, and of course, playing Wolfie in The End Between Us. David Finn, hello and welcome to A Performer, A Pint and A Pod. How are you, mate? Graeme Rooney. Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm all right. Um, you know, it's uh, crazy times and I have moments of losing my sanity, but um, uh, trying to do all the things that you don't usually have time for in, in normal life, uh, you know, like um, uh, learning Spanish. I, I've been I've been doing my little Spanish lessons on my app every day and things like that and working out and doing yoga and I did um <laughs> there you go see this is what's happened um what so like man. just um just for the people listening uh this is a transatlantic performer paint pod so um that uh <laughs> when you said yoga you've changed this is what's you're over in LA so you're yeah. doing your yoga um what's the t- what's the time there at 10:54 a.m. Right, um, and what are you drinking then? So I've got a coffee on the go, I'm afraid. I wish it was a pint. No. But, um, well, mate, if it was a pint, then people would probably be a bit worried and they'd yeah. be writing in tweets, sort of saying, like, David Finn's got issues. Yeah, it's not it's not ideal. Not these days. I know, back in the day. Eh? Yeah, man. Talking, about, talking yeah. about back in the day, let's go back to when, when we met. Eh? Yeah. Um, I mean, because that's obviously why I've got yourself on, because you're a superstar these days. But um, <laughs> way, way back, over a decade ago was uh, when we met in the perfumery hall, didn't we? Yeah, that's it. I was trying, I was racking my brains there because there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of little worlds that overlapped, I think, a little bit. We both did. We both played football. We were both like in a kind of actors football thing and um but yeah, it was. It was the perfumery. We were um, out of work actors, spraying perfume in uh, Selfridges, I think. And I remember, yes. I remember before we met, everyone was building you up so much. 
because I was, you know, <laughs> childish sense of humor, trying to do anything to pass the day spraying perfume. Um, and everyone was like, oh, my God, you have to meet Graham. You'll love Graham. He's so funny. He's just like you. You're going to love him. And then, <laughs> and then when we met, we kind of just looked at each other. And I think other people had said the same to you. And we were like, all right, all right. There was all this, like, there was all this pressure to be funny. Yeah, but it is, but it's also the classic comedy thing where you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm the, I'm the funny person of the shop floor. Yeah. Uh, who's, <laughs> who's this character? It's like, it's like, you've got me, David. He's so funny. Oh, is he funny? Is yeah. he funny? Is he? Well, but, and, well, as funny as me? I don't think so. You can have everything. <laughs> you can have everything east of Calvin Klein. I'll have. Uh, I'll have Mark, the Mark Jacobs corner. Ah uh, dear. But in fairness, we did uh, kick it off, and uh, yeah, here we are, over over a decade later, yeah, talking to each other on the other side of the planet. When we but still, do... still very much good mates. Weren't we going to do something around that time as well about? singing weren't we gonna do like gigs and stuff and we were gonna like do a little double act of singing and comedy or something yeah we we looked into doing some sort of comedy swing set i remember we we even did rehearsals we we went and um did some singing rehearsals that we had like we were good i mean it it stopped very swiftly very quickly (laughs) very i don't really know why it wasn't like there was anything tragically wrong with it or that but um I don't know, like we always got little bits and bobs of uh, acting work here and there and, and that's probably why. I don't I don't remember us either, ever at some point going, we should knock this on the head. Yeah. Imagine if we'd have stuck to it where we could be today. I mean, we'd be in lockdown, but... Um, oh, yeah. yeah no. I mean, we... we, we <laughs> some working man club outside of <laughs> London. <laughs> Mate, I would have dragged you down. I tell you what, yeah. School of Rock wouldn't have happened <laughs> if you'd done that with me. And and Lloyd Webber wants to see you for School of Rock. Can't do it. I've got a gig in Skegness. Sorry, I can't let Graham <laughs> I'm down. Sorry, Cut, yeah, that's it. I'm fifty percent. I'm fifty percent of the bad. If I'm not there, there, there is no. You know, it's like adding deck. Yeah, can't have it. Can't. It doesn't work. Um, but anyway, let's let's go back. So basically, um, when we were in the perfumery hall, um, it wasn't sort of long after that that I suppose things started to really kick off for you. Um, you, you started getting some nice wee cameos, and that I do remember yeah. probably one of your first, not massive roles, but the show itself. Um, people were probably noticing you in the street and stuff like that. I was playing Wolfie and then between us, yeah. It's still, to this day, it's still the thing that if anyone stops me, they're like, do I know you from somewhere? Um, it, it kind of depends who does it. If it's like a group of like lads in a pub, I'll just say, oh, people think I look like Wolfie from The Inbetweeners, but it's not me. Because it can, it can get very rowdy very quickly if, if, I do the, if I do say. But like nine times out of ten, if anyone goes, do I know you from somewhere? Like, Inbetweeners, they're like, that's it. Like all these years, I mean, I filmed that. I think 12 years ago now um but it's yeah. the thing that still follows me around the most for sure the thing about it Ed's is obviously it's because of the but it was just huge yeah absolutely massive yeah monstrous i do remember when you got that i was like that is a cracking role yeah. um just to just to sort of set you up and, and get you going and then i mean to be honest mate since you've gone on from there you became king of the the cameos i would say i mean you've done loads of great stuff but also you've done like one episode in some amazing shows. I yeah. mean, um, I mean, I was watching Game of Thrones for I'd never ever watched it, 
And uh, I sent you a message because from nowhere, your face pops up and yep. you're taking a piss in the woods sort yep. of thing, giving it big licks. Dead by the credits. <laughs> Dead by the credits. And it's 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 weird because if you, if, you, like, if you look at my IMDb or my CV or whatever, it looks amazing. And then people are like, oh my God, you're in Game of Thrones. Who did you play? And I'd say, and they're like, no, don't remember it. Or like, or Peep Show, where I've got, I think it's seven words or something like that. But um, it does it does make it look good. I mean, it definitely makes it look better than the actual kind of content of the stuff I did. So it's kind of handy, especially in the States, because they're like, oh my God, you did Sherlock? Oh my God, you did Game of Thrones? So it kind of, I'm like, I did, but I did two scenes in each of them. So it just, um, it, it does look cool. Definitely yeah, I mean, brilliant. any Game of Thrones fan is brilliant. It's like a ten, I don't know, five ten minute brilliant little cameo where you come out of the camp and you you're going for a piss in the woods and your mate shouting at you, isn't he? And you're just like, yeah, whatever, yeah. mate. I'm going for a piss. This will be great. And then you get mauled or something, don't you? Yeah, like... I, I get my face, I get my face ripped and my throat ripped out by uh, Rob Stark's direwolf. There we go, eh? And at that point, you thought, I, I'm, I made it. I'm done. Yeah. What was ideal about that, though, was um, they had a rain machine on us on a cold November night in Belfast. Um, so not the kind of glamour that people think it might be. And that's the thing as well. Like all, like, all those little gigs look great, but, you know, around that time, I was still Monday morning, I was going off to work in Selfridges again or kind of um, or working in a school. It's kind of uh, it's a it's a weird that being in that part of the industry like doing these little cameos and stuff it's not really enough to financially to keep you going so you still have to kind of subsidize things with with other work yeah i think i think that a lot of people don't <laughs> kind of realize uh and it almost makes it tougher like you say like you know you were wolfy and then between us then you come back into selfridges you're spraying perfume and everyone's like wolfy yeah. and you're like oh, yeah 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 i was wolfy um yeah Wolfie for men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But then, at, out outside of obviously the cameos and stuff like that, you've had some great series. I think the first series that you like uh, really sort of probably kicked off your career a wee bit um, was Pete versus Life. Yeah, that, that was my first um, regular, first kind of playing a regular character, which was yeah, which was awesome. Really fortuitous as well, actually, because there was. Chris Gear was playing the role in season one, and then something happened with scheduling. I think with Rafe Spool, with um, he was doing um, a Ridley Scott film. I forget the name of it, and um, they had to move the schedule. And when they moved the schedule, Chris Gear couldn't do season two. Um, so then they had to kind of recast it, and they just said I was the cousin of Chris Gear's character. So he was from Zimbabwe. So I was really lucky. I was really lucky to get that. And um, I mean, Chris Gear's gone on to do amazing stuff. So he's fine and he's brilliant. Um, but yeah, really lucky for me because that kind of um, it put it puts you in a different kind of casting category. You can then get seen for for bigger roles and for more regular roles, which is around that time really handy. Yeah, I think obviously there is that sort of like coming in doing a little guest lead here and there and stuff. But compared to someone who's been on a set and done like a good long stint and also someone who can turn their hand to a zimbabwe accent that like i don't think i've ever been asked to do in my life i've been asked to do many an accent but not even in drama school what did they chuck out a curveball of a zimbabwe accent 
Yeah, it was. Um, I tried really hard, but um, I I saw an old episode the other day, and I was like, oh, jeez. <laughs> there's one. <laughs> there's one line that Rafe. Uh, Rafe, he was playing the lead. He said because his his in laws, I think, I don't know if at the time or still, I I don't know, but his in laws um from Zimbabwe or South Africa, one or the other. And he said, oh, this line, you should say it like this. And the line was, look how those pipes have been brazed off. And I really went for it. And it's like, look how those pipes have been brazed off. And I watched it the other day. I was like, oh, jeez. <laughs> Not subtle at all. But that, I mean, I, that job was that job was amazing. Really good fun. He's done all right, hasn't he? He's not done bad, has he, old Rafe yeah. Stroll? I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's been worse careers yeah. I've seen out there. Yeah. Um. But would you say that that was a bit of a gear change for you in your career then? Would that be sort of the first one or was there one that you would say was a bit of a bigger one that really sort of changed things for you? Yeah, I think there's a difference between things that people see and actual things that make a difference. For me, I think the actual thing that really made the difference was um, the musical Spelling Bee at the Donmar. Right, yeah. Because... Up until that point, I was kind of scrapping and, you know, still doing all those extra jobs. And and then I did Spelling Bee and I, I didn't even have an audition. My friend was going in for it and he was watching videos. And I was I was um, I was I was doing an advert with this actor, Ben Heathcote, and he was going in for it and he was watching these clips. And then I saw the clip of the character that I ended up playing. And I was like, oh, my God, it's like someone has crawled into my head and written a character for me. I was, I, I immediately got obsessed with it. And I, I kind of called my agent and I said, look, if you get me seen for that, I think I'm going to get it. And I've never had that confidence before or since there was just something about it that I was just like, I, I, I just had a feeling, um, probably completely unwarranted confidence, but no, I just said, no, her, I, like, I think you... there's been certain roles that have come my way and, and, I think it's more that you're just like this is a real opportunity. You almost like you almost kind of get nervous because you realise how close it is to all the things you do well. You almost get yeah. It's almost like unless there's some like yeah. a twin of mine shouldn't be fannying this up. Yeah, yeah, and it, I just so and I think what what that does is like if you do if you do a, a theatre show in one of those big theatres in London, then everyone goes to see it. Yeah. All the casting directors generally see everything at the National, everything at the Donmar, generally. Um, so what that did then was it, it just got me seen by a lot of industry people who I'd never met before, all these cool casting directors. Um, and then when that finished, I was waiting. I, like So during that run, I started auditioning for quite a lot of stuff. And then when that finished, I literally went back to work in a school on Monday morning as a teaching assistant. Um, but then that afternoon I got a call about um, an, a, another TV show. And then since then, touch wood, thank God, I haven't had to do those other jobs. I've managed to pay the rent just with acting, which was, which was always the dream. You know, the, you know, the dream was never for me to kind of be rich or famous or, or whatever. It was always just to kind of, if I can pay the rent with acting, that's all I want to do. Yeah, um, no, definitely. Um, what year was that? Uh, that was 2011. And then, so later that year, I, so then I did that and then I went to the national at the end of that year and I did, she stooped to conquer at the national. And then 
more casting directors saw that and then so then the tv stuff started kind of happening a bit more and more um yeah and then randomly found myself in la (laughs) well that's i think that's the thing i think i think what i would say looking at your career is a bit like a bit of a snowball effect really um and i think that can happen where some people but i think if you get that bit of a break you've got to kind of take advantage of it and be good enough to take advantage of the next mm. opportunity next up you might get then get bigger opportunities but then you've got you've got to go and smash it out the park which clearly like you know you were yeah. doing um and you could just see the gear change there when you look at your cv um basically it wasn't long after i left your life it looks like it looks like i was dragging you back me <laughs> it's no wonder you didn't want to do the swing song around the piano with me (laughs) Dave come and do the swing we've got rehearsal for the swing thing Graham I can't man no come on dude (laughs) you're like like, I've I've got this little thing at the dawn mar and uh, and like LA's calling I was like "All right, fair enough but you know (laughs) you're missing out on a big opportunity here yeah Um, but um, like you say, then you went on to the national, and the national you got you got nominated for an evening standard award, didn't you? I did, yeah. Long list. I just want to make that clear. It was I, I didn't make the short list, but I was on the long list. Um, but that that was that was lovely because being that was very nice of you, by the way. Because if that was me, I'd just be like, I got nominated. Thank you. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Correct Mundo, robbed. I was robbed. Um, <laughs> um, the nomination for that was kind of lovely, just in that I had imposter syndrome the whole time there because it's for me, for me that that theatre and particularly that stage is the holy grail for me um, yeah. in terms of in terms of theatre. So being on that stage, it's kind of it's a really odd feeling because you get there and you're like, oh, this is it this is this is this is what i've always wanted but then you feel like i should be feeling like i'm living the dream but i'm not i'm just worried that i'm an imposter and everyone thinks i'm rubbish so <laughs> so the um the the that that nomination was was really nice and it just kind of eased my kind of um yeah, well, yeah, that feeling. I mean, that's the, the the national theatre is for British actors who love theatre. I mean, there's there's not really anywhere bigger to go, is there? Yeah, and they haven't had me back since. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did piss off to LA. I mean, you know, I did. It's quite a, it's did. quite the commute. I sold out. But you know, fair enough. You've still you've been back here on stage. It's not like you've not been back though. Um, I mean, you can't walk anywhere in London without seeing your face. When you came back with School of Rock, which I know for a fact we had a conversation uh when we were in Selfridge's spray and perfume about how basically you almost kind of missed the boat for that film was perfect for you. Obviously, Jack Black is a legend, but there was a lot of similarities in yourself. Uh, and I remember <laughs> you used to always go up for adverts for a Jack Black type. Uh, type, yeah. And I used to go up for a Simon Pegg type. Uh, that was <laughs> like, that's yeah. what we used to go up for. Admittedly, you went through yeah. a stage of of getting every advert you went for. 
there's a there's a real um I, I find that with adverts there you you kind of you can learn the knack for it there's um obviously you have to look a certain way for that whatever they're selling um but also around that time that kind of it was still quite bloke next door lads down the pub in every beer advert so because i've got that kind of you know the friendly best mate look i think that really helped me around that time i think adverts have become way more sophisticated now but um when they weren't as sophisticated it really helped <laughs> <laughs> the unsophisticated man david finn yeah <laughs> yeah cool. lovable loser club <laughs> <laughs> That's the the casting bracket right there. Yeah. But yes. No. Slight tangent there. What we were going to talk about was School of Rock. How was School of Rock for you? Because I think if there was a show to fit a man down to a T, that was it. Um. It was um uh, unbelievable. It was because I I auditioned for it for the Broadway cast. Um originally for the original Broadway cast and um I got right down to the end and then I really botched my last audition um uh but also I was still under contract for a tv show in LA so I yeah so it didn't work out for Broadway but they they did say like oh if we end up doing this in London we'd we'd love to talk about that when it comes up and then the following year, I got a call and I was out of contract because the TV show had finished and I had to go back to New York. Um, and they were just like, oh, Andrew and the director, Lawrence Connor, want to meet you in New York. So I was like, sure. OK. So I flew over and um, I don't I don't know if they know this, um, but I read with an actor, like an American actor who I don't know. And then I saw him in the in the lobby downstairs afterwards. And he was like, yeah, I think you're getting this. Um, yeah. And I think, I think they hadn't seen anyone else. I think because they knew me from the year before, I think they were like, we just want to get the, we want to get Dewey cast. So, um, and I'd worked on my kind of singing and stuff in the interim. And I'd, I'd kind of, I, I came in more prepared and stronger. Um, There's been quite a few have done it since because there's a lot of covers and stuff. Uh, as well yeah. as the leads, um, so there is many a Dewey out there. <laughs> um, yeah, but but they are. It's kind of it's kind of um, it's a it's a weird one because they don't they generally like to go more for kind of comedic actors rather than kind of um, traditionally musical theatre performance. And I know everyone's an actor and you know that kind of thing, but they're not as worried about the singing. Thank God for me, because my singing is nowhere near as good as. Basically, any all the covers who covered me had much better singing voices than I did, but it's it's um it's I think more about kind of comedic timing and stuff for them. Um, well, I think me, I'll, I'll look for the people listening. I'm going to speak for you over that. Uh, you've got an absolutely amazing voice, and uh, <laughs> so, shut up, uh, stop putting ah, yourself in you. on that one because, like, I know obviously you didn't train in musical theatre and everything like that, but I know. I know uh, that loads of people who have been involved in the show, who are involved in additions, who are still involved in the show, and they still talk about how good you were, how good your voice was. And yes, I think the comedic thing side of things, that was kind of your bread and butter, what you really, really uh, have worked on over your career. Um, so that was something that you 
naturally just had. The fact that you had a voice that used to do, uh, I believe, in a thing called Love at uh, the Karaoke after a night, of, <laughs> <laughs> a night of work at Selfridges, um, oh then, you know, that was just a bonus, mate, you know, so. Yeah, but I, I had to... I, I had to work very, very hard to keep the voice going. Um, whereas a lot of other people, because they've been doing musical theatre for a long time, it's just in their muscles. Whereas with me, it wasn't like there, yeah. I, there were during previews. I had to I had to take a few shows off because that I mean, vocally, that role is for, for blokes, maybe as tough as it gets there might be harder but i i can't think of any off the top of my head but i had to quit booze quit caffeine no dairy no chocolate um no like my diet had to completely change um i was on reflux tablets the warm-ups that i had to do the warm downs i learned you had to do as well i was like warm downs i have to do that as well (laughs) (laughs) i don't even do that for five a side (laughs) <laughs> I know and then like sometimes like vocal rest there was a period where I didn't speak for two whole days like 48 hours um so, so yeah it was um so basically what you're saying is you got your dream job and it ruined your life yes that's exactly what I'm <laughs> like your dream <laughs> job took away everything that you enjoy yeah. in life I know coffee and booze my two favorite things um but it, it kind of it ma- it makes it worth it for when you kind of maybe try something vocally on stage and it works and it comes off. Um, so yeah, but it was um, and one of the things I loved about that job as well is that they gave me quite a lot of freedom um, in terms of improv. There were a few there were a few parts of the show where it was like a little run of gags where I could kind of improv bits and pieces and. They, they kind of give quite a lot of freedom to the Deweys to, to kind of improv around the kids as well. Because if something happens, because if you're on stage with 13 kids, there's going to be stuff that happens that you didn't see coming. Um, yeah, so it's nice to have the freedom to improv in and around that. Yeah, and very, very, very talented kids as well. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think yeah. any do I've ever, ever spoken to or anyone in that cast, they're just like, yeah, they just put us to shame every night, really. Um, yeah. When I remember, I remember one night in warm up, uh, one of the kids, and I think some of them do this now as a matter of course, but he was the first to do it. It's a kid called Toby Lee, who at the time was ten, I think, and had already played with BB King. Oh, he, um, what? he was what? Yeah, uh, unbelievable. He, um, he was doing something in warm up with the guitar. He was like putting it around his head, like above his head, behind his head. I was like, what are you doing? He was like, oh, I might just try something. And then that night, on the hardest guitar solo in the finale, he put the guitar behind his head (laughs) and played the solo, like, up over his head. And I remember remember looking at it, and then I was like, I have to see the audience's face, because you could see the first, like, ten rows. And everyone's everyone's mouth just dropped. Because you see a kid, and the guitar's basically the same size as him. Doing that, it's like your mind trying to put those two things together it just even knowing him it was it was yeah unbelievable but their voices and just they're just such pros thing with kids though is like they obviously there's the those sort of kids have a lack of fear and they're also a sponge when it comes to learning um yeah i mean i remember 
I remember back when I'd get some lines, I'd read them, and then I'd just go and do that with me. Done. Now I get some lines, and I'm like, ah, right, this is going to take a while. Ah, cancel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cancel yeah, yeah. the dinner plans. Cancel tomorrow. Yeah. I've got to learn five lines. So, like, Two pages of dialogue. All right, I okay, clear my week. It's like the brain just does, it's just not, not up to the same tricks as what it used to be. Um, yeah. The Broadway of School of Rock, um, you probably look, would have seen that as a role that you'd have loved to have played. And so when you were going to your Broadway edition, was there, did you feel like quite a bit of pressure? Did you like, were you a bit crap in it? Is <laughs> sort of, cause you were like, or were you like, this is an unbelievable opportunity. I've got to smash this. Yeah, it was a bit of both. Um, I, cause my first, my very first audition ever was in LA. Um, and it went really well. Um, and then I had a call back in LA and then they were like, right, we want to fly you out to New York to, to meet the creative team. And then when I got there, because I've always wanted to do Broadway and, and all that stuff, it kind of, I think it overwhelmed me a little bit um, because they're so, they're just so good. Like I watched, um, I watched Hamilton the other day, the brought the original Broadway cast. Cause it's on Disney. We were talking about it a minute ago. <laughs> there are the board, other channels not, available. Yeah. There's, there's just not a weak link. And it's not that they're better than actors in London. There's just way more. So yeah. in London going in for Dewey, I was like, Oh, so it's going to be me. So-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And I know the three or four guys that I'll be up against in Broadway. You walk into an audition room and there's 25 guys who look like you who can all sing the crap out of something, who are all brilliant and have all gone to like UCB or like the Groundlings and trained in comedy. And so it's just the scale of it is just much bigger. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was quite intimidating. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of, there, there was a confidence, but then I remember my, not that there's any excuses, but like, I remember my, my last audition was on for the original Broadway. It was at like 10 in the morning. So I'd flown from LA. So it was seven in the morning for me and I'd done a warm up and stuff, but still at 10 AM to sing top A's and B's in, um, Mount rock, that song that opens the show yeah. is really difficult. And I remember singing it and it, the wheels kind of came off a little bit and I was like, ah, shit. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I think the um... there is nothing worse than an addition when you know it's like falling apart, but you know you've just got yeah. to keep going. And I always think it's singing. There's like singing is always the the one because the piano's going to carry on. You've still got the rest of the chorus or whatever it might be, and it's just like yeah, oh the game the game is a bogey, but I'm going to carry on. Yeah, and we can all just and accept be... that uh, you don't want me, and I understand that, yeah. and I'll leave. I've I've been I've been to auditions where um I remember I was I went for an advert audition in London. It was for like Norwich Union or something. And um she was like, Okay, that was good, David. Um let's try again. Only this time, um just do this and do this and sometimes the, the directions they give you are absurd. And I was like, um, okay. And I did it. She was like, hmm, no, I don't think you're getting it. Um, all right, let's try it again and then do this, this, this and this. And by this time I think I'd done like fifteen adverts or something. Um, so I, you know, I was okay. I knew what I was doing for the most part. Um, but sometimes they just don't like you. And then I did it again. She was like, okay, you're not getting it. And I don't think you will. So she would just call it. And I was like, 
All right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for your honesty. Oh. <laughs> and another, I remember there was one, there was one that I had in LA, um, one of my first auditions and um, I, di- I did it. I did the, the scene and um, the casting director went, holy shit, you are a fucking amazing actor. You're not right for this, but you're amazing. Thanks for coming in, David. And I was like, okay. I've never seen her again. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. You're just like, yeah. what? What, what was the yeah. point? What was the, what? Nothing. It's so confusing. Oh dear. It's so confusing. I mean, I was going. I was going to ask you what your worst audition was, but I mean, it sounds like you've had a few belters anyway. I mean, oh, it's been worse than that. Oh well. Oh well. I mean, if you've got if you've got a worse yeah. one, if you've got like what is your worst, then go for it. Um, I think the worst has to be. Um. Well, there's one I remember auditioning for Lipper for drama school. This is way, way back in the day when I was like 19. And um, early 80s. You had to, you, in the, yeah, in the, in the early 60s. <laughs> um, and you had to um, ha- write a monologue to prepare, and I just hadn't written it. So I tried to write one on the train on the way up because I, I was like, I've got five hours, four hours or whatever it was. I'll nail it. Fell asleep, had a coffee had like an hour and a half left and ended up writing pretty much nothing. And I just tried to make something up. And I mean, the whole thing was just a car crash. But another, another one that I had was for um, the Liverpool Playhouse. It was a musical called Eric's and it was the movement recall. And, um, and I ended up actually a year after working for the director on something else. But um, I remember the movement director, Anne Yee, was there and she was like, I want you to use the walls, run around, think of yourselves as like atoms, like really kinetic energy, like bouncing off the walls. And I was like, bouncing off the walls. Yeah, I love some of that. (laughs) So we started this thing and I ran up to a wall and I was going to basically put my foot on the wall and like spring off it. (laughs) So... I ran up to the wall and I went to put my foot on the wall and obviously I picked the one patch of wall that was plasterboard and I kicked a giant hole through the wall. Oh no. And stuck in the wall and I had to pull it out. And then when I pulled it out, I ripped out what was ever left, what was left of the, of the plasterboard. Um, and the casting director, David Grinrod, who I've also since worked for was basically leaning against the wall. And he was like, Oh dear, that's not good. Is it? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you put your then, foot through a wall and pulled it. I literally kicked a giant hole in a wall in an audition. Yeah. And then I ended up working for the director a year later and Anne Yee, the casting, uh, the, sorry, the movement director was the movement director for this new thing as well. And, um, on first day in rehearsal, she was like, Hey guys, so we're going to do some movement stuff, but just take it easy. Um, I had this thing last year in a, in a recall where um, this guy just decided to kick a giant hole in the wall. And I was like, <laughs> I put my hand up. I was like, hi. Yeah. Um, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she completely forgot who it was. That's amazing. Um, and I've had, I've, I've been in spotlight um, where, um, which is, I don't know, if people are listening, know what it is or not. It's like basically the kind of hub of audition rooms in the center of London. Yeah. I've been in spotlight for an audition and I've heard people telling that story 
to each other. Did you hear about that guy who <laughs> kicked a hole in the wall? <laughs> uh, the man um, of legend. Yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, of course, how is that not going to end up being a legendary story? You've kicked your foot through a wall. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, oh, what was the other one I was thinking of? There was one, I was auditioning for this really serious play. It was like a proper, like, dramatic piece. And I was I was doing this, like, monologue, right, to, like, cry and shout and all the, all the you know, all the drama acting. And, um, <laughs> I believe that's what they call it at training. Drama acting. Yeah. Welcome to drama acting workshop. <laughs> um, so I was, I was building up to the big, like, crux of the scene. And then um, I just heard a... And then this like assistant popped his head and he's like, hi guys, I'm doing a Starbucks run. Does anyone want anything? And instead of them going, no, we're mid auditions, they gave him the orders. They were like, yeah, I'll have a caramel latte. And like five of them. I just stood there like waiting to do this piece and they're just ordering Starbucks. Um, Did you just chuck in an order? At that point, you must have just thought, oh, you know what? <laughs> <Yeah>. Stuff it. <laughs> like, I'll have a frappuccino. Yeah, I, like, no, I might as well get a coffee out of it. <laughs> like, clearly, it's all good. Sets up. No one cares. Stuff it. Chuck me in one. Yeah, yeah as well. I'll have a. Yeah. But there are. I've had a few. I've had a few auditions where, like, the people auditioning you are just. They just don't give a shit and they're, like, looking at their phones or you know, just looking at their laptops or, you know, not looking at you at all. Cause some, sometimes it's it's really hard to do the work under those circumstances, but you just, you know, you just got to not take it personally. Yeah, I think that is like, that is definitely, definitely a big tip. That that should never, ever happen, but yeah, it does. But it does. And, but well, you've just, you've got to then be the one who remains professional no matter what and just do do your addition. Um, because you never know what might happen in the future and stuff like that. So you just do your audition and get out there. And also, sometimes that sometimes that is happening, but other times uh, you you can misread it. I know people who've come out and they've just been they were horrible to me. They were looking at their phone, and then two hours later they get a call and it's like, yeah, yeah, you've got the job. And then like it's just yeah. because some some uh, people who audition in that can also just be very awkward as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and they might be on their phone texting a producer, going, "We found him." Yeah, this is We've it. The guy. They're literally the writing your name down in the notes, going, "That's he's the guy." Yeah. Like you know, and then you're like, "Hey, hey, look at me!" <laughs> you're like that guy. No, 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 no. Get the other guy. He, he wasn't psychotic. It's <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um. Well, let's move on. Uh. After those array, they're amazing addition stories. Um. Let's move on to undateable. Was yeah. that possibly your biggest part that you've got out in LA? Would you say? I mean, um, it was the kind of most, uh, the most visible. Um, not the like I've I've done like indie films and stuff where I've kind of played a, a more of a lead role, but it's definitely the kind of most significant thing that I've done since I moved to the states. Yeah. Um, and I I actually moved to the states for the job. It was all kind of a bit of a whirlwind because I, I got my agent via doing spelling bee in London, um, in LA. And he was like, Oh, come and do pilot season. And I was like, I, I you know, you've, I've, I'd heard of pilot season, but I didn't really know what it was. Yeah. You so I came out and I the did myth it. That it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but now things are so different now, like even in the seven or eight years since because of kind of self tapes and stuff, like the landscape has shifted so much. Um, but I, I came and I did pilot season and, uh, ended up coming back to London early to, for a job, but where they'd seen me for the lead role in undateable, they'd filmed the pilot and they were recasting this other role that they were interested in me for. So they, they got me back out to audition for that. And then the only time ever they told me in the room that I got the job was undateable. Um, was undateable. Yeah. Bill Lawrence in the hallway, wow. just outside the, outside the room. He was like, see you in August kid. And I was like, huh? He's like, you got the job. <laughs> That's um, so American. Love it. See you in August kid. <laughs> yeah. See you in August kid. Uh, we're going to make a star. You know? <laughs> and then they didn't. And then they didn't. Um, and then, <laughs> so I'm just kind of like, so I called my wife and I was like, uh, do you want to move to America? That is, a, that is mind blowing. Um, so let's yeah. let's get the years on it. So um, undateable the the pilot season um that you were this. What year was that? Um, that was January February two thousand and thirteen. So they, I mean, that look at that for a timeline. Like two thousand and nine, you're in the perfumery hall with me. Um, like you know, two thousand and eleven the game changer for you um, you did peak versus life and was and it don man yeah. yeah spell and b yeah and then 2013 uh you you're going to la um for the yeah. series um uh, which yeah which went for three seasons three seasons and yeah if i'm right the third season was live yeah so at the end of season two they had this bonkers idea to do the last episode live and they basically packed it with all of the famous people they could get. Um, so we had the show opened with Ed Sheeran playing a song to us in the bar on set. Um, and it was just, it was like four or five months after his, um, uh, baby now take me into your loving arms, that song. Yes. So he Thinking was at loud. the peak of his, he was, yeah, that's it. He was at the peak of Ed Sheeran-ness. <laughs> so that was a huge get, getting him. And then they packed it with, like, we had Mini Driver, um, Zach Braff, Tony Hawk, for some reason. <laughs> no, you've got to have Tony Hawk. Um, <laughs> yeah. We basically had the cast of Scrubs come and come and do bits. So I, I got to do a scene with, like, Zach Braff and Donald Faison. And um, it was just bonkers. Like, like that episode was insane and it went down so well. And also because the, the, the other four guys on the show were all stand up comedians as well. I was the only, I was the only male actor that wasn't a stand up comedian on the show. Yeah. Um, so improv was a huge part of our show. So their whole kind of angle was like, we're going live. Anything could happen. And it kind of did like it was a bit like with like we had um we had the backstreet boys on as well and <laughs> it was a Tony bit Hawk, where... the backstreet boys and the cast of yeah. scrubs of course yeah it was mental <laughs> um so like with the backstreet boys there was a bit where uh bianca one of the girls on the show got overwhelmed and ran up and kisses kevin from the backstreet boys on the mouth um <clears> and the, the character i was I was playing a, a, a gay, a gay guy on on the show as well. So then when she did it, 
I was like, I'm going to do it. And you just improv it. And I just lunged at him and kissed him. And everyone was like, ah! So the whole kind of angle was anything could happen. So then they decided to make season three all live. Um, but the good thing about that was that we would do an East Coast show. And then because of the time difference, we'd do another show three hours later. Um, and there was an open bar as well between the shows. So everyone everyone would have a couple of drinks and get a bit more loosey-goosey and then the second show would um i mean that just sounds like uh, the edinburgh fringe but live in american tv you know it was yeah and it, it kind of just made it way more fun yeah um because we had all these musical acts on as well and they they kind of they went with a bit of an snl angle with we'd always open and close the show with with a musical act so it became it was still a sitcom, but it wasn't a kind of a traditional sitcom anymore. But yeah, that was um, that was bonkers. But I mean, this is the amazing thing. I listen to you now, um, and I remember like when we met back in two thousand and nine, like in the perfumery hall, and how quickly that accelerated to you being on the set as a regular with Ed Sheeran, Scrubs, Tony Hawk, Backstreet Boys. I mean, that was in six years or whatever i mean that's insane um and like you say yeah. you've had moments in all of your career what i love is like um you speak to all different actors and how they deal with stuff and that and with you every time you've landed something it's like you were on the national going oh god i'm a bit of an imposter what's going on here yeah um you, you, you know you went to broadway and you were like wow they're all amazing how did it you know um, and then even here, you were sort of going, "Whoa, I've got four stand-ups round about me, and I'm trying to cook." But you've like you've you've held your own with stand-ups. You've held your own with singers because you're like you've got that ability across the board. Oh, thanks, man. Oh, well, you know, it's, I know, I know. You were you were David, the funny guy at Selfridges. So like, <laughs> no, I know you can hold your own, son. Uh, that's going on the CV. Um, it, but it's it's kind of it's kind of a weird one because it's it's kind of sink or swim and like you you mentioned holding my own with the stand-ups i remember the first half season of undateable i was i was sinking because they were so quick yeah they were so quick and so funny and i i was kind of falling not falling behind but i was i was i almost felt too shy to say it and then i just got to the point where i was like I'm having the thoughts. I'm having the jokes in my head. I'm just not having the confidence to join in um, because it's quite intimidating, like especially like on a live sitcom on a live stage, because when you're filming those things, there's this bank of people in suits from the network and from the studio. And then you've got all of the writers and like the way it works in the States is like, Oh, it's not just written by Phoebe Waller bridge. And she wrote all of the episodes there's 12 to 15, 16 sometimes writers. So there's all these like gag machines, all these people who have made a living from writing jokes and writing amazing set up punchlines. And then you've got the audience and you've got all this pressure. But in the end, I was like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to do it. And I just started doing little bits and it, it, they usually went down quite well. Um, but um, it is a sink or swim thing. And the feeling of, sinking is worse than trying to swim and you know 
swallowing a bit of water every now and then. That's a terrible analogy. I'm so Amazing sorry. Amazing analogy. No, but I know what you mean because it is that yeah. thing where you're just going, well, I'm saying nothing and I'm losing here anyway. So yeah. I might as well say something and like I could get a home run and they'll laugh and fantastic. If I say something, if, it, if it's not a hit and they don't find it funny, well, what have I got to lose? Yeah. But at the same time, like you say, these are 12 to 16 people of the, the, the funniest people around these gag writers. All that's their yeah. bread and butter. All they do, they are pure gags, nothing else. Yeah. And then you've got the suits, and that's all the money. And then you've got the audience, like you say, live audience. Like, you know, I did it um, myself. So you've got all those, all these people, and everyone comes in expecting you to be amazingly funny. So if yeah. you're not for a, like, you know, for one sentence, it's like, yeah. Like, you know, the gag writers stop, the people with money stop, the audience stop and go, Sorry, David, what what was that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that a, an attempt of a joke? <laughs> like yeah. So, um yeah, there must have been an amazing amount of pressure on. And what you sort of said there was right, you sort of just get rid of that and just go, you know what, stuff this, I'm gonna just go for it. Yeah. Because um, I got I got I got a bit like jealous of the stand-ups because they didn't feel any of that pressure. I mean, obviously there's different pressures for them, but like, um, because they're most of those guys, like, like one of them said to me, I've been on stage doing stand up comedy every single night for the last eight years, every single night. And when, when they were starting out, they'd literally, they'd go out at like 6 PM and they do an open mic somewhere. And then they drive to the next gig and then they drive to the next gig and they do five, six gigs a night around town so how sharp and how quick that makes you um you, the pressure's not a thing you just say it because they're not afraid for yeah. the gag not to work yes and no, most of them don't yes no definitely and they're set like most of them don't sit at home and write a set most of them just go oh that's quite a funny bit and then they try it on stage and inevitably it fails until the next show and then they do a little extra bit and then it gets a bit better and a bit better and a bit better they're just not afraid to fail um so it was that kind of learning to kind of or, or just to be infected by that fearlessness i think was was really important for me and it's it actually helped me so much with school of rock like i wouldn't have been able to do what i did unless i'd worked with those guys yeah in in terms of the confidence of the comedy and trying jokes and a lot of the time it falling flat on your face because some of the jokes in school of rock were great so like if i tried a, a gag and it didn't work I know that I've got another three home runs coming up, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, like you say, that is an amazing sort of way of viewing it. It's like you went over to the most difficult arena, in a way. Um, You had all these guys who, yeah, they'd been working and working and working on their comedy in the hardest places where everyone's wanting you to fail in these pubs and clubs and stuff over the years. So then you'd worked with them, and then you come into School of Rock, which is a well-structured, oiled machine. With go- and you're like, yeah. oh, well, I all right, brilliant. I'll just chuck in jokes yeah. now. And, yeah, you were hitting your own home runs, and then that just brings a bit of magic, extra magic to it. I think that's obviously why yeah. you were a fantastic Jew. Um, yeah, thanks, man. And one of, one of, the, one of, the, one of my favourite things about the whole of School of Rock was – obviously doing the run and stuff, but then a year or so after I finished my first stint, um, I went to see the tour of it. Cause it was in LA. It was just down the road from me. Yeah. So 
I went to see that production and um, like a few of the gags that I'd improvised in rehearsal and on set had then made their way into the book of the show. <laughs> no, and that the Dewey cool. doing it was doing my, some of my gags. And I was like, that is such a great feeling because it's, it's just a little bit of like legacy that it's just lovely that it, it warranted going into the show. But it's totally understandable. I mean, I've been like in comedy shows and someone said something in that and then the understudy will come on and, and they'll say that extra little gag that the, the, the principal put in. And it, it makes yeah. sense because it's like, well, they put in a gag. Basically what they've done is they've just written it on stage in that moment. That's what they've done. Yeah. And it's going, well, why should we take out something that's adding to a show? As long as it's not taken away yeah. from the other jokes. Like, you know, if it's adding to it and really giving it, then definitely, like you say, it's a lovely little compliment to you yeah. that it was it was still in the show. Um, but at the same time, mate, I'm not surprised. Because you have, I mean, you do write as well. Um, but I knew this, I knew this many, many years ago that you wrote because I remember watching a short film um, that you wrote that uh, won an award. You won, you won Best Actor for uh, The Man with the Wobbly Hand, didn't you? Amazing people, The Man with the Wobbly Hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, before yeah. coming on to this podcast, I watched for oh, the second man. time of my life on oh, YouTube. Boy. It's so ridiculous. Like the reason it's so ridiculous is because it was for a 48 hour film competition where on the Friday night you get your brief and you have to deliver the edited version, final cut by the same time on Sunday night. But this, um, like this, I think that that is the thing that's amazing that I know you well. So I know a lot of the stuff you've done, but then I'd forgotten about, but that shows like that, you work so hard and doing these little things as well, and you were doing this crazy um, short film that you say was obviously shot yeah. over forty-eight hours. And the basic, the basic gist of it is that you're an amazing person who has no bones in his hand. Um, yeah, but it turns so it out kind they... of... <laughs> well, it was it was a spoof on some of those documentaries that were on around that time. A lot there was like. And they they were quite tasteless in that they, in terms of the editing and the voiceover and stuff, sometimes you felt they were making fun of the subjects a little bit. Yes. So we wanted to do, we wanted to kind of do the same thing. Um, But we put a bit of a spin on it in that this guy didn't actually have no bones in his left hand. He was faking it because he wanted attention and he wanted to be on TV. So it transpires that he's just got a glove full of jelly. Which he's saying, am I an amazing person? I've got no bones in my hand, look. And he's flapping this jelly hand around. Um, <laughs> but it, like, it transpires <laughs> on Margate Beach after you struggle to have fish and chips. That, yeah. Um, <laughs> it flies out when you go open up the umbrella. And then you, yeah. and then you do a runner over the beach. I mean... yeah. It is, it is brilliant, like, it, like, and it is really funny. But the thing is, I watched that, and I was thinking, you know, you see, you're funny, you're being creative, um, and you're working away, and then to think that in less less than a decade, um, you were going to be out working with all those people that we've talked about, sm- smashing it in LA, 
auditioning for School of Rock on Broadway, ending up being in the West End, doing the National, the RSC, the Donmar. Um, I mean, the, the, the amount of things that um, you've done uh, in the last decade is ridiculous. It really is. Oh, thanks, man. That's, that kind of um, gives it a bit of perspective. It makes, yeah, it's nice. Thank you. Because um, sometimes you forget, like, you know, especially during the pandemic and also like in the last couple of years, I've, I, you know, I've had periods where I'm not in work um, because I think the, the nature of the business in LA is that you're often waiting to hear about so many things. It's not, it's not as dynamic as London in that you can be at an audition every day. It's not like that. Um, so in the, in the last couple of years, there has been periods where I'm just like, ah, oh, that's it. I'm never going to work again. So it's, it's, yeah, man, it's, it's nice to, um, it's nice for you to say that and to, to kind of give that perspective as well. But but that being said, like uh, you, you kind of touched on it a second ago about the kind of hustle and like th- there's a lot of people who are like, I'm not doing anything unpaid. That wobbly hand thing wasn't paid, but it made me better. And I've gotten auditions because of it. I've gone into auditions where the director wanted to meet me because they'd seen that. Um, and things like I think you did it as well the the sitcom trials or the sitcom mission which was um yes I remember a, a, I remember a, coming to see you and a couple of brilliant things and um yeah there was good but there's really good people there yeah and I I've always been of the mindset like if it kind of if it's unpaid but it's good and you've got the time do it because well, you that, just never yes. know that's it it's, like it's about the quality of it it's it's not about look and there's some people like you say they just go out they go well i'm not doing it if it's not paid but there's a reason why they're not just not paying you like you know there is a yeah. reason why somebody they would all these different things is they would wish to pay you. there's a lot of things where they would wish and hope to pay you but in fact what they're thinking is you know let's team together let's see what we can do i mean i i did a an independent film and the guy couldn't pay. Um, but I was like, you know what? This could really help me um, it would be the first time I'd be a lead in a film. Um, and definitely, come on, let's do it. It took three years. Cost him tens of thousands of pounds to, to, just doing it all. Um, but he's managed to get it on Amazon Prime. And you're just Brilliant. like, you know what? What's it called? Um, it's called Ashes. Um, Ashes. Okay. Yeah, but it's it's just like you know you're like that that is amazing, mate. No, I mean the slight issue with it is that um, I was thinning. Uh, I mean I'm now bald, as we both know. Uh, but I was thinning through those three years, so there's many a different hairdo from scene oh, to wow. scene. That when you've not got money. <laughs> <laughs> and you're trying yeah. to just get the actors because obviously he was getting the actors when they were available as well. So it was like it wasn't just me. There was another two guys. There was sort of a three, it's like a, a three leads, shall we say, and sort of getting us all teamed up at the same time. Um, yeah. And you know, you know yourself, uh, like the thinning hair when it comes to men, that is the the game changer in the thirties of as, as an actor. Oh man, I've had like on the set of Undateable. It's all we talked about. <laughs> it's all we talked about because I, I I've had a I've had a bald spot for for a long time since I was like twenty one twenty two, it's just I've had a thin crown and it's it hasn't really gotten that much worse. But um, yeah, I mean to it, be honest, a... can, I just want to say right now it is criminal that you when I first met you were thinning. Yeah, you were thinning. I didn't. I, I had nothing, and then my hair just fell out my head, 
completely. <laughs> and you so still got like, like <laughs> no, but I was just like, this is ridiculous. I, like you know, I, I saw pictures of you and like undateable, and I was like, oh, that's right, David. There you are in LA with your luscious hair. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, they they fill it in though, don't they? They filled it in. But I I um I I got uh I think I mentioned this to you the other day when I when I first got to LA, my manager was like, honey, we need to talk about your hair, and I was like, okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> And she convinced me to go on those hair retention pills. Um, and I've been on them for like seven years, but I've decided to come off them. Um, and what happens is your hair goes to the baseline of what it would, would have been. So I might have um, a Graham Rooney-esque year of just clumps of hair coming out. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I can tell you right now. It's not fun, yeah. and you have to try about five different hairstyles to sort of like keep it looking yeah. okay until you get to the well, point. Well, I've, I've shaved it now because we're in oh. quarantine and no one's going to be on set or on stage anytime soon. I've just shaved it just to kind of see what it looks go, like. Well, yeah. And you know what? You can live with it. But also, like, 37 now. Like, if your hair goes, your hair goes. Like, who cares? I've, I've just stopped caring about the vanity side of it. You just – life's too short, man. Why take no, pills? that's. Take I think that pencil? is the thing of it. Like you and and you know, I think we both consider ourselves character actors, <laughs> so it's not such a big How deal. You, you know? How dare you, sir? <laughs> I'm a living man. <laughs> <laughs> I messaged. Um, do you know West End producer? He's that kind of guy on Twitter who he wears no, a mask. No, no, no. And he kind of he's this mysterious figure who. He writes for the stage, but he goes to all these premieres, but he's got this rubber mask and no one knows who he is. Um, so he's got this kind of like um, alter ego and no one knows who the guy is. And he he, he does these like joke <laughs> things about the industry. So he, he does like joke articles for the stage. So I, um, I tweeted him and I said, is there a difference between uh, a character actor and an overweight leading man? And uh, <laughs> he, he wrote a whole article about it and he published it in the stage based on that question. Oh really? <coughs> yeah, yeah, it's out there somewhere. That is brilliant. There we go. Yeah. You can definitely search that and check it out now. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we're we're coming towards the end. I just want to quickly look at um towards. The, I was going to say the end of your career. That would that would be brutal. <laughs> yeah. No, the the Throw latest. It in, mate. Come and come. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. And by the way. Word from your agent. It's a, <laughs> um, no, you've uh, you just did Vanity Fair and the ITV drama just a couple of years ago with some fantastic people: Martin Clunes, Michael Palin, yeah, Saran Jones, Olivia Cook. How was that for you? Dreamland, mate. It was. Um, it was. It was. It was amazing. It was um, just after my first run of School of Rock. So, going from like a big commercial, like American musical, into a kind of high-end English period drama was was amazing um and the cast were unbelievable and like getting to spend the night on set with Michael Palin is like not bad, not I, bad. <laughs> I'll tell you this, you're like this I remember his his first day he came in and he um he was in the makeup trailer and they were like oh David they need you at makeup so I went and so it was the hair and makeup department and the only two actors that were in there were me and him and I sat in the chair next to him and I was like, hi, hi, David. Nice to meet you. He's like, hello, Michael. Nice to meet you. Um, and it kind of went quiet. And I was like, do a joke. Do a joke. You have to do a joke. You have to make him like you. Do a joke. So I turned to him and I went, 
Uh, this will be good for your showreel then, Michael. <laughs> Obviously, the joke being, he doesn't need a showreel because he's Michael fucking Palin. <laughs> and he either didn't get it, didn't hear me, or got it and hated it because he just kind of went, huh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, first time you meet a python, you crash and burn. But he, well, he I mean, he was the... He was the loveliest man. No, well, that, like you get, guy. yeah, you get the impression he is absolutely lovely. So I'm gonna go yeah. for that. He, he didn't hear you because I think he would have. Yeah, that's what um, I'm hoping. But we then went on to have that night on set, and you know he was just chatty and lovely and hilarious. Obviously, um, yeah. And Simon Russell Beale playing playing my dad was a dream come true. Oh mate, I mean. <laughs> Yeah. But that's the thing. You've you've gone over to LA. You're living over there, and you've you've done some amazing things over there. So to come back and work with these amazing British uh, actors and actresses on a set like that, yeah, that's yeah another another amazing. big box ticked. <laughs> Carry on. Um, now upcoming, um, I had a little look. Uh, one of the things I noticed uh, that you have upcoming um, is the Pembrokeshire Murders. Now, on IMDb, yeah. it says you play yourself. Now, in a murder investigation, if you're playing yourself, I mean, were you, were you involved? No, we, we need to change that. I don't know why it says that. No, I play, um, I play Jonathan Hill, who was a newsreader, because it's based on a true story. He was a newsreader who basically got oh. involved in the case and helped them solve it. Really? Oh, cracking. We'll have to watch out for that. Um, but I would, yes, uh, I would get your uh, name uh, changed uh, so it shows that you are acting in it and you're not a real person involved <laughs> in a murder case. <laughs> All right, David, that means it is last order. So we're going to do some quick fire questions so we can go and get ourselves a final pint um, in this strange metaphorical transatlantic pub. So basically you'll get a coffee. <laughs> And I'll go and get myself a Cronenberg. Right, here we go. Okay. Quick fire questions. Do you have a hidden talent? Uh yes, I can moonwalk. You can you can moonwalk. Yeah. That is, that is very cool to add to the rest of the yeah. bloody talents you've got. <laughs> Next up, is that on your spotlight C V? Uh it is not, but I'm gonna put it on there now today. Get, get it on, get it on. <laughs> Asterisk, yeah. highly skilled moonwalker. Right, next up, yeah. guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure would be um, too much coffee. Too much coffee. Mm, you've changed since your yeah. school of rock days. Um, um, yeah. Next up, pet hates. What pet hate have you got? Pet hate. I don't like it when. Um, I, I just don't like rudeness on like on set, especially like in work um, is a pet hate for sure. Um, and uh, I get this more in the States, people not letting you in when you indicate to change lanes. It drives me bonkers. <laughs> it's very specific. Oh, good choice of word at the end there. You were like sort of yeah. <laughs> like child like, friendly there. Um, all right, yeah. here we go. Crunch time. Favourite actor? Anthony Hopkins. Good choice. Good choice. No one's no one yeah. said that one yet. Favourite actress? 
Olivia Coleman. A, a fantastic shout as well. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, who was your idol growing up? Um, can I have two? Yeah, go for it. One was Harry Enfield, um, which is one of the reasons I'm into comedy. Um, and my other is Eric Cantona. Harry Enfield and Eric Cantona. There we go. Yeah. Um, and uh, finally, if you're not an actor, what would you be? I, If I wasn't an actor, I think I'd probably still be in the industry as a director or writer, producer. Failing that, I think I would have gone into teaching. And I very nearly did go into teaching. You nearly went into teaching? I did, yeah. I looked at doing PGCE courses because I was... One of my out of one of my many out of work actor jobs was I was a teaching assistant for a long time, um, and when it looked like acting work wasn't going to pay the bills, um, a few people that I worked with in schools and stuff said you'd be a, you'd be a good teacher, and um, at that time I kind of quite enter- I quite liked entertaining that thought. So you know I I kind of got syllabuses for courses and stuff, and I I nearly pursued it, um, and I think around that time actually the the Donmar thing happened, so yeah, I think I'd be a teacher. There we go, sliding doors. That yeah. moment there, wasn't it? Um, God, you could have been a teacher, yeah, man. All right, mate. Well, thank you very much. Thanks a lot for all that. Um, for me, man. It's an yeah. absolute pleasure to have you on a performer, a paint, and a pod. Pleasure was all mine, darling. So there we go. That was David Finn, the wobbly-handed actor who put his foot through a wall in an audition and nearly gave up acting to become a teacher, but instead went to LA, starred in sitcom Undateable, kissed a backstreet boy and returned to star as West End lead in School of Rock. What a decade it's been since our days on the perfumery floor. I'll be meeting fantastic performers in the pub over the next few weeks and months with career-defining moments and secrets from behind the scenes. So make sure and don't miss out by subscribing to A Performer, A Pint and A Pod and follow at Performer Pint on socials. I've been your host, Graham Rooney. Thank you for listening. Please do rate and review. I'd love to hear your thoughts, unless, of course, you don't like me then please do keep them to yourself. And remember, no one likes a stingy mate at the pub. So, share the pod with friends and family. See you next week.